songwriter, I'm always grasping. I'm always reaching for language to describe the sheer force of what I'm experiencing, especially during corporate encounters um, with God. And just recently, during a lot of our corporate encounters in the church I'm at, I remember during one of those, one of those times I was just writing just descriptors of what his love is and what his love is like, and, and uh, the old G.K. Chesterton quote kind of popped into my head, and just on the furious love of God, I just began to meditate on that, and, and the more I meditated, the more I'm like, wow, that is a really apt descriptor of, uh, of his love. Um, it's a little out of the box. It has to be understood within the context of love, you know, definitely not anger. But his love, the force of his love, I mean, there's a fury to it in, in the best sense of the word, you know, that's indescribable. Your love is deep, your love is wide, and it covers us. Your love is fierce, your love is strong, it is furious. Your love is sweet, your love is wild, and you wait. Well, now that you heard Jeremy Riddle go ahead and describe his song, Furious, why don't we try it out? So stand up and we'll just sing about God's furious love. Waking hearts to life 
Your love is deep, your love is wide, and it covers us. Your love is fierce, your love is strong, it is furious. Your love is sweet, your love is wild, and it's waking hearts to life. Your love is deep, your love is wide, and it covers us. Your love is fierce, your love is strong, it is furious. Your love is sweet, your love is wild, and it's waking hearts to life. Your love is deep, your love is wide, and it covers us. Your love is fierce, your love is strong, it is furious. Your love is sweet, your love is wild, and it's waking hearts to life. Your love is deep, your love is wide, and it covers us. Your love is fierce, your love is strong, it is furious. Your love is sweet, your love is wild, and it is waking hearts to
people have commented, hey, parking's a little tight. You know, if you, if you want someone to blame, you can blame Dave Morey if you met him. We were having a prayer night here one night, and Dave prayed, God, from the very first day, let there not be enough parking. So if you need prayers answered, talk to Dave, because he, he did very well with that. But um, yeah, we're aware of it. We're working on some solutions, adding some extra spaces. In the meantime, there are a couple of things that, that would be helpful. If everybody would go buy a Mini Cooper and bring about 20 people in that car, that would be very helpful. But one of the things in our family, for example, we've had to do a little car reduction act. Uh, our tendency is for everyone to drive their own because of the different times we come. So we're actually kind of sacrificing and making sure that more than one person comes in a car. That could be helpful. And we'll come up with other solutions along the way. But, you know, my perspective on it is I'd rather go to a church where I have to kind of fight for some parking than pull in and go, hmm, two cars. What's going on here? What's wrong? So I think it's kind of fun to come in and, you know, get you here a little earlier. You'll have to come claim your spot. And so uh, it's a good thing. It's one of those good problems, right? And, And we like good problems. So Again, glad you're here today. We're going to be continuing with the theme that you see on the, on the screen, All Things New. It's been part of this whole month as we've talked about transformation, the transformation that God is making in every one of us. If you remember all the way back to our first, first week here, we spent some time actually with the guest speaker. We heard Erwin McManus talking to us about seizing our divine moment. God has given us a divine moment right here, right now, where we get the opportunity to do something that's incredibly unique. We get to impact our, our, our community in a way that, that we have never been able to before. And that just, that should really excite us that God is using us in that way. We narrowed the focus a little bit. The following we can talk about, what does it look like to have that kind of transformative work in our community, in our world? And looked at an ancient prayer, an ancient prayer that talks about Christ having no body in the world but ours. It's our body. It's our hands and our feet that do the work of Jesus in the world. And, and we talked about that transformation, that possibility to leave that imprint on the world. But then last week we narrowed in a little bit more and said, hey, that kind of transformation can't just happen because we're being nice, because we're, we're being nice to everybody. Transformation has to be happening in us. We have to bring our transforming selves to the table if we're going to be able to impact other people in a transformative way. And we talked about some of the areas that God wants to transform us. We talked about our terrible tendencies, those, those areas that have been classically defined as besetting sins. We all have them. You have an area in your life that kind of nags at you. It may be something that you've done a pretty good job keeping to yourself. Nobody else knows it, but it's kind of, it's that area. It's that area that you fall every time. And you look at someone else and you realize they don't struggle in that area, but they have another struggle that's glaringly obvious to you. Isn't it amazing how we can see everybody else's struggles, but we, but we get a little bit blind to our own. And so we have these areas, and personally, i got to tell you, I'm glad they're there. Because what they do, they scream out to us, you need help. They scream out to us, you're not perfect. They scream out to us, you're not God. And, and we need to change. We need help in these areas. So we talked about the way that God transforms our besetting sins. We talked about the ways that he transforms our tongue. That he wants to do a change work on our tongue. Not just some modification. You see, your tongue, what it's all about there, whatever I speak is an outflow of what's going on in my heart. So when rage comes out of my mouth, 
when filthy communication comes out of my mouth, when these things come out of my mouth, it's not like they just came from nowhere. They came from in here. And they're a pretty good indicator of what's in here. And so now we know what we need to work on, what area the Spirit of God is working on us and changing us. Talk about transforming our temperament. God doesn't want to change your personality. God loves your personality. Other people may think your personality is weird, but God loves your personality. God made you the way he did. He wants to use your personality the way he intended. But here's the problem. Sin tends to impact our temperament. And so maybe we're a person of great passion, but our passion spills out as extreme anger and rage. God says, no, I don't want you to be full of anger and rage, but I don't want you to lose that passion either. And so God takes our our temperament and transforms it. And then the final area he's really working on us is in the area of trust. He keeps asking throughout our lives, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And we're walking out blindly just saying, okay, I continue to trust. I continue to trust. And whenever I think of this, I think back to Job in the Old Testament, who when he's talking about his relationship with God, he says this, even if he kills me, even if he decides to kill me, I will trust him. I'll never stop trusting him. Can you say that today? Even if God chooses to take my life, I trust him completely. That's where God's trying to bring us into that place that we trust him absolutely, implicitly, and completely. So, God wants to do this work of transformation in us. God wants to use his body to transform the world. But here's the thing we got to understand. You don't just automatically become part of the body of Christ. You don't just automatically become a child of God. Transformation. I want to talk about the starting point of transformation today and the fact that um, God wants to make you new. He wants, he wants to do something in you, and that starts with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the starting point for all of us. We have to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ if transformation is ever going to begin. Now, you may do some work cleaning yourself up, a little self-help and something like that, but true, lasting transformation can only take place if you have a relationship with God through Jesus. Now, for some of you, you come from a religious background that you're like, how can you know that you have a relationship with God? How can you know that you're going to heaven? You've been taught something like this, that throughout your life, God has this massive scale in heaven. And throughout your life, he's taking your good stuff and he's putting it on one side. And he's taking your bad stuff and he's putting it on the other side. And he's just kind of, he keeps piling your good and bad and your good and bad. And you're going to get to eternity and and there's going to be kind of this Van and White moment. You know, there she's going to be standing there at the scale and she's holding it. She's going to let go and we're going to find out, did I do more good? Did I do more bad? Do I get to go to heaven or, or am I eternally separated? from God. How does this work out? What's going to happen to me? It's not what the Bible says. At first John, this, this letter from the, from the Apostle John, he says these words, these things are written so you can know that you have eternal life. Not so that you can hope it, not so that you can wonder about it. These things are written so you can know you have eternal life. I had a friend in St. Louis many, many years ago now. We were meeting for, for discipleship. He was a brand new believer. And I remember sharing this verse with him. And he got mad. It's not often you share a verse with people and they get angry. He got mad. He got really testy. And he's like, all my life I've been told I can't know. 
But the Bible clearly says, I can know I have eternal life. You can know today that you have a relationship with God. You can know that beyond a doubt. Now here's something we know about ourselves. What keeps us from having that relationship with God? What blocks that relationship? Sin blocks that relationship. Sin keeps us from automatically being inducted into the family of God. Sin keeps us separated. The Bible says it separates us from God. The Bible is very clear on this. In in the book of Romans 3.23, very basic verse. Everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone is quite inclusive. Everyone in this room has sinned. Everyone in the world has sinned. Everyone who's ever existed except Jesus has sinned. We've all done wrong things. We've all fallen short. It says two things there. We've sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standard. What's God's glorious standard? Perfection. God's saying, hey, if you're perfect, you can have a relationship with me. And some of you are going, oh, good. I'm in. I'm perfect. Remind your friend when you get out of here, okay? Nobody's perfect. Everybody falls short in some way of that standard of absolute moral sinless perfection. Now, the thing of it is, some of us think, well, I may not be horrible. I may, I may, not, I may not be perfect, but I'm not as horrible as I could be either. I, I may not have it all together, but, but, but I'm not as bad as you might think as well. You remember that whole thing about besetting sins we talked about? We all have these areas that we struggle. We have all of these areas. And like I said, these struggles, what they do, they call attention to the fact that we're not perfect. They call attention to the fact that that we sin. And and some, some of these besetting sins are more obvious than others. So as a pastor who lives in this area... One of the things I've had to deal with from time to time is people who, who struggle in the area of gambling. Big struggles, huge struggles. I mean, I had a, a friend one time struggling with the gambling thing. And this struggle was huge. Didn't tell his wife. He had $60,000 in gambling debt. And one day his wife found out, and that was the end of the marriage, and that was the end of everything they owned. Their life, right there, boom, it was gone. It was done. Now, I look at that, I look at his besetting sin, and I go, that's nuts. I, I, would, I would never do that. You know why I don't gamble? I'm cheap. I mean, that's what it comes down to. This isn't a moral thing. I'm just cheap. When, when, when you decide you want to gamble, here's what I see. I see you taking that nice $5 bill, and I see you walking over to the shredder. Yeah, even I can't do it. Here. I mean, <laughs> all right, stuck for the sake of the podcast. Here. Here goes the $5 bill. Yeah. That's what I see when you do that. It's like, why would you waste your money that way? Are you kidding me, right? And, and you, you may be sitting there thinking, well, well, just what I figured. I come to church and he's going to judge me for my sin. Hey, wait a second. We all have besetting sins, right? You know what mine is? I can't pass up a plate of food. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it screams like a siren. There it is. It wants me. I want it. And, and we, we're, we're, we're friends. We're good friends. I come from this family of skinnies. It's just not fair, you know? If we take my whole family, put them on a scale, that's my weight combined. Boom, right there. And, and so this family of skinnies, they're so funny, you know? Kim will take like three bites. Oh, I'm full. And, and, then, and then I get to be like the, the human garbage disposal, taking, taking in everything else they do. It's just, it's hard for me to pass that up. 
up. And, and you may look at me and say, you have an incredible self-control problem. What's your deal, dude? Why don't you just say no? Isn't it funny how we can look at everybody else and figure out what their besetting sin is, what their issue is, but we look at our own life and we kind of go, eh, I'm not so bad. Well, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, which is perfection. So let's stick with that food theme. In our family, we have a, a tradition at birthday time. And we had a birthday this past week. Uh, the oldest person in our family had a birthday. For three months, she's older than me. But anyway, um, so she had this birthday. And we have a tradition that's been passed down from her family. Chocolate cake, a deep, rich chocolate cake with buttercream frosting. It, I mean, I like have four birthdays a year just so that I can have this cake. It's, it's fantastic, and it's wonderful, and it's just, it's the best stuff. I love making it. I love licking the bowl. It's fantastic cake, okay? Now, so you come to the pap house, and it's a birthday, and you're like, oh, I've heard about this buttercream frosting. This is fantastic. I'm so excited. But then you find out we have a weird fa- habit in our family, and I promise you, dude, we don't, but just play with me here, okay? Go along. You find out we have this weird habit as a family that we don't refrigerate eggs. We like to just leave them out on the counter for days and weeks. We like to see if they're going to hatch, you know? <laughs> we just let it sit out there doing its thing. And, and as you know, you know, you leave that egg out and you're brewing some fine salmonella. Oh, it's getting going. So, so here it's cake time, right? Get that batter out. I, I do from scratch. I scratch the box open and rip it and put it, put it on in. And then, and then you put the oil in and then you put the water in and then you put cook, crack, woo, egg number one. Yeah, that's a little pungent. Maybe we shouldn't have used that one. Number two, boom, woo, that, yeah. Well, you know what? There are good ingredients in there, right? The, the chocolate is good. The oil is good. The water is good. So there are a couple of bad eggs. What's the big deal? Now, if you knew that was our habit, and you came to our house for a birthday, are you eating that cake? Yeah, I suspect not. A couple of you are saying yes, and that proves your besetting sin is lying, okay? I mean, we, you know, you got an issue going here. So, yeah, you're not going to eat it because it's bad. But here, morally, we go, I got all this good stuff going, God, so I have a couple of bad eggs. So, so I have a couple of mistakes. So I have a couple of problems. You really get, you're really going to pass over me for that? Everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. Perfection. No bad eggs allowed. If you're going to have a relationship with God on your own, it's got to be zero bad eggs. None. So let's walk through this a little bit. Kind of think about where you stand morally. And I I like to use this picture in order to do this. Imagine this a moral ladder, okay? And at the top of our moral ladder is moral perfection. You don't get better than this. And at the bottom is dreadfully wicked. I mean, it's the epitome of absolute bad. So you've got this ladder, you've got this scale that kind of says, here's the top, here's the bottom. And and of course, we can put God at the top of moral perfection. At the bottom, I, I put him right at the edge of the screen, Satan. You don't get more wicked than Satan himself, okay? So, so they're, they're the outer ridges of our ladder. God and Satan, moral perfection and dreadful wickedness. 
Now you start thinking through history, thinking of different people, and where you would put them on this moral ladder. Um, I'm tending to believe that, that this German from the, the 40s, 30s and 40s, um, Adolf Hitler, he's going to be, he doesn't even make it to the rung. You don't kill six million people and make it to the first rung. He's, he's, anybody want to put him higher? No, he's, he's, he's dreadfully wicked. Not as bad as Satan, but they're in the same neighborhood. Um, hugging the bottom of the ladder. Maybe to, to modern times, you know, for, from an American standpoint, we're not going to put Ben Laden very high. I mean, he might be a little higher than Hitler in that he didn't kill 6 million people, but, but he, he killed 3,000 of our friends and a lot of other people along the way. So that, that kind of gives you the, the bottom definition, okay? Let's go to the top. I try to think of morally good people, and my goodness, how can you not put Mother Teresa? I mean, here's a woman who, who she just lives this wonderful life, taking care of people, helping people, and she's there for people every day of her life. Morally wonderful person. I, I think of someone like Billy Graham, who spent his life preaching the gospel, who has been a blameless man. I mean, there, you know, among other people on TV and whatever, scandals come up. Doesn't happen with Billy Graham. I mean, he is just, he's done very well morally. So, kind of gives you an idea of the scale. And, and here's my question, okay? Where are you going to put you on the ladder? Where do you go? Yeah, I mean, here's the way this is going to work. You know, you're either going to say, well, I'm right there with Mother Teresa. Good for you. <laughs> no, no humility problems there. Some of us are going to really feel bad about ourselves and go, you know, right between Hitler and Bin Laden, that's me. And it's like, yeah, you're not there either, okay? But I, I, I would dare say most of us would put ourselves somewhere there in the messy middle, right? And we'd say, we're not that good, but we're not that bad, but what did we say? All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And the standard is what? Perfection. You've got to be perfect in order to have a relationship with God. So how does this work? Because, because last I checked, none of us are perfect. And even when we try, let's say from this moment on, you were able to be perfect. You still got a mess. I, you know, I got 51 years worth of mess. I can't just erase that. It's still there. So what do you do? How do you, how do you get perfect? How do you get there? Well, the way this works for a lot of people, they just try. Isn't that what we're taught? I mean, a lot of people are taught. What you do to have a relationship with God is try harder. You just have to try harder. You have to sin a little less. You have to be a little better. You just try harder. And if you, and if you try harder, you can have a relationship with God. A lot of you know, I grew up in western New York. And uh, spent a lot of time. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I stood right there. Right there at that point, standing, looking down at the falls. Many, many times. Our youth group, after, after we were done on Sunday night, a bunch of us would head to the falls every week. We'd walk over to Canada, walk back. We spent a lot of time here. Now, you know, I'm not a daredevil by nature, and I'm not particularly athletic, and, and I'm afraid of heights. Got a lot of issues. But anyway, so standing here, this would need, not be my inclination, but let's just pretend. In fact, even this stage is a little high. Woo! Anyway, um, let's just pretend that one day I thought, hmm, standing over here on this side where these happy people are getting their picture taken, I want to jump to Goat Island. That's what that is out there. I want to jump. I want to jump out to the island. What do I have to do to do that? 
well, I guess I got to practice. I got to work hard. Got to train. I think I'll train for a year. A year. That that should do it. I'm going to train really, really hard. I mean, I'm going to get the diet in order. I'm going to I'm going to train my very best. And let's say that that year is up, and I come and I even build a little ramp, so I get a little bit of a head start. And I, and I do my best. I take a nice long run. I jump. And I jump the best jump in human history. I jump 56 feet. Woo! Splash. Gone, right? 56 feet is going to land me in the water. No matter how hard a human would try, there is no way under the sun you can ever practice enough to humanly jump from this side out to that island. You just can't do it. But morally, we think I can make the leap. Morally, we think if I just try a little harder, if I just do a little bit better, if I just smile a little bit more, if I'm just a little bit nicer, maybe if I polish myself up enough, I can have a relationship with God. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that refers to our, it says, all your righteousness, all the good things you do, they're like a dirty rag. I mean, imagine as this building was going on and, you know, Kim and Sherry and Dana and others around here doing all this decorating work. I'm walking around with a greasy rag that I just got done cleaning out the inside of the, inside of the engine. It's got nice gooped oil on it and it's, it's all ready to go. And I offer to go, hey, I'll go around the walls and I'll just clean off spots. I mean, all of us know that's, that's a disaster waiting to happen. And that's what we try to do. We take a dirty, oily rag of our own righteousness and we, we just start scrubbing, thinking maybe that will clean me up enough to have a relationship with God. And God says it doesn't work that way. Incredible verse in the Bible. You can't miss it. It's from Ephesians chapter 2. It says it is by grace you've been saved. It's by grace that you have a relationship with God. Grace is um, unmerited favor. What does that mean? You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's just given to you. There's nothing you do to earn it or deserve it. It's just given to you. Nothing you can do could make the Father love you less. Nothing you could do could make the Father love you more. It's his grace by which you're saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Some of us are a little bit messed up on gifts because maybe we're in family systems where gifts come with lots of strings. You're always kind of paying for your gifts, right? Not with your heavenly Father. This gift is absolutely 100% free, sitting in front of you, and all you have to do is reach out and take it. Gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What does that mean? All the effort, all the trying, all the good things I'm doing in order to have a relationship with God don't work. Now, then you say, well, why should I be good? Well, the goodness comes out of having a relationship with God. Because I have a relationship with God, I want to live in a way that's consistent with his character. But trying to have a relationship with God by being good just doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. The only way that you can have a relationship with God is through Jesus. The only way you can have a relationship with God is by stop trying to do good works. Like I said, there are a lot of religions that teach Try harder, do more. You might make it to heaven. At some level, that's admirable. It's just not biblical. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the only way we can have a relationship with God 
is through Jesus. Now, now, how does that work? How is it that it's through Jesus that we can have a relationship with God? Romans 5, 8 tells us God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a beautiful verse. You know why? Think about what it could say. God demonstrates his own love for this. When he saw the human race was showing a little potential, he sent his son to die. Now, you know what it says? When we were a total mess, when we were hopeless, when there was no way of getting out of the ditch, when, when we were just absolutely at rock bottom, some of us try to clean ourselves up and then say, now I can come to God. He says, no, I want you when you're a mess because I want to do the cleaning. I don't want you using your filthy rags to clean yourself up. I want to clean you up. Through the shed blood of Jesus, I want to be the one to clean you up. So how does this whole Jesus thing work? Remember, when Jesus died, he didn't have to pay for his sins. His death wasn't to pay for his own sins. He didn't sin. So he was able to take his death and apply it to your life. He was able to take his death and apply it to your sins. And there's that free gift that we reach out and we say, God, you've given me the gift of eternal life through Jesus, and I accept the gift of Jesus. I receive the gift of Jesus. How do we do that? There's a verse in the Old Testament that, that, that's become pretty popular throughout the past several years. It's from Jeremiah 29, it's verse 11. You may know this one. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. What a beautiful verse, right? You want to hang that on your wall at home. I mean, God's on my side. Woo, yay! He wants a future for me. He wants hope for me. He wants great things for me. It's a beautiful verse. I wish people would keep reading because it's the verses after this verse that are so incredibly meaningful. They're just beautiful and rich. Jeremiah goes on to say, in those days when you pray, I will listen. Just hear that. God says, when you pray, my ears are open. When you pray, my heart is open to you. That's incredible that the God of the universe is saying, when you're willing to go ahead and pray to me, I will listen And then he says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. God is telling us quite simply that the way that we come into this relationship with God is through Jesus, by reaching out and accepting the gift. Now, how do we receive that gift? I mean, literally, how, it would be kind of difficult. It's not like we, we get a gift wrapped Jesus and go ahead and unwrap it, and yay, now we have the gift of, of eternal life or something like that. How does this work? Well, it basically works through expressing trust in God. Through the expression of trust, said in the form of a prayer. Now, I don't want to say that a prayer makes you a Christian, or a prayer brings you into the kingdom of God. It's really what's behind the prayer. Look what he says. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. What it comes down to is, where's my heart in this? Am I sincere in this? Do I have a sincere desire to enter into a relationship with Jesus? Not to escape eternal punishment, but to follow God. To have a life that's truly being transformed all the time. And so I want to put on the screen for you uh, some words, words in the form of a prayer. Again, you don't have to pray these exact words. It's the concepts behind them. The concepts say what? Lord Jesus Christ, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever believed. Are you there today? Are you finally at a point of saying, 
My good is not good enough. I finally realize it. My good is not good enough. I'm weaker and more sinful than I ever believed, but through you, I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. I thank you for paying my sins, my debt, Jesus, bearing my punishment and offering forgiveness. I turn from my sins and trust you as Savior. Amen. These simple words, the concepts behind them, the concept of admitting that we've sinned and done wrong things, the concept of believing that Jesus was the one that died to pay for our sins so that we could have eternal life, the concept of choosing, choosing to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I I receive you as my forgiver and my leader. I want a fresh start. Folks, when we do this, this is the starting point of transformation. This is when transformation can take place in your life and mine. And so what I want to do for you right now is provide you a moment of me not talking, a moment of quiet, no music playing in the background, nothing else, a moment that's so quiet that you can hear your heartbeat. And I want you in that moment, if you have not come into that place of trusting in Jesus as your forgiver and leader, again, not to necessarily quote the exact words, but to speak to God sincerely and let him know, I realize today, I've sinned and my sin separates me from you. I can't clean it up on my own. I receive Jesus. I accept Jesus as the one who pays for my sins. I make that choice today. Today, God, I choose to follow you. Uh, I'll give you a couple of moments if you've not done that yet to pray that prayer right now. We're not going to do anything embarrassing to you. We're not going to make you walk up here. We're not going to make you raise your hand. This is about you and God. This is about life and death. It's, it's, it's an incredibly serious moment. And uh, if you've already done this, what I want to encourage you to do is pray for other people who haven't. Maybe someone in this room, maybe someone in your life that you're just saying, God, I really, really, really want to see my friend, my spouse, this person I love come into a relationship with you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, I am grateful that you've had mercy on us sinners. I'm grateful today for anyone here who finally finally came to that realization. My effort isn't cutting it. I'm never just going to get rid of this sin on my own. And they reached out and trusted in you as the only legitimate payment for their sin. I look forward with excitement to the transformation that you're going to bring about in their life and in our church and in our community and world because of what you've done in their heart today. Thank you so much for that, Jesus. Amen. I'd like you to do one more thing. You don't have to do it right in this moment, just sometime before the offering is collected. On the back of the card, there's a place for next steps. And on that next step area, there are four comments. One says, Uh, Thanks, that made sense. I I didn't really understand what you talked about today. It makes more sense today. I appreciate that. 
Maybe you want to check that one off. The next one says, there's still some things that confuse me. In other words, I'm getting it more, but there's still some things that I'm not quite getting on this. The third one says, I get it. I'm just not ready. Not ready. And then the final one says, today I prayed with you, and I'm ready to follow Jesus. If one of those four applies to you today, I'd love for you to check it off. And here's the other thing. Maybe what you need is more of a conversation. This time I'll pay for the Panera, okay? And uh, maybe you need more of a conversation. I'd be glad to talk you through it and help you in any way to come into a relationship with God. So you may want to just put on your card, hey, I'd like to talk and put a way to contact you. Or you can contact me really simply. It's, this is easy, got it? Dennis at southfieldchurch.com. Doesn't get easier than that, okay? Dennis at southfieldchurch.com. And I'd be glad to have a conversation with you about how you can experience this relationship with God. So we're going to be participating in communion in just a moment. And here's what I love about communion. Every time we take that tray, the, 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 the cups around the side and the bread in the middle remind us that the body of Jesus was broken for our sins, that the blood of Jesus was shed for our sins. And when we take that, it's a reminder to us of that reality. And if you prayed this prayer today, if you prayed uh, today that God would forgive your sins, here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to the table. It's great to have you part of the family of God. And, And pull up a chair. Pull up a chair today and enjoy time at God's table as we celebrate communion together. While we do, Shelly's going to be singing a song that talks about that passionate, wholehearted desire, that sincere desire to follow Jesus. Follow along with the words and listen. Let them seep into your soul as we receive communion. i 
So you guys did an awesome job this past week of signing up for Journey Groups. Uh, we've got a lot of people signed up and ready to go. But if you haven't yet, if you haven't gotten signed up yet, don't be deflated, Patriots fans. Uh, there's still time. There's exactly two weeks to get signed up. Uh, and we'd encourage you to get signed up as quickly as we can so we can have an idea of who's going to be in what group and what space we're going to have and all that. Um, I'm going to shamelessly plug the under 30 group because it's going to be an awesome group. So if you're under 30, sign up. Uh, and where you're going to do that is on southfieldchurch.com under the Journey Group tab. Uh, if you don't know what we're doing, we're actually going to be going through the 
another section of Francis Chan's book, Multiply. Um, and if the Old Testament has always just been a random assortment of verses and chapters to you, uh, this is going to help you get a broad overview of the Old Testament. It'll help walk you through it um, and so we can start to dig in and understand what that's all about. So if you'd like to check out the book, uh, you can, we'll have, uh, Mary Ellen will be standing at the, in the main gathering space, the black table, so you can take a peek at the book. Or if you'd like to pick one up today, because you're already signed up for a group and you don't have the book yet, you can pick one up today for five bucks. All right? Uh, so going back to the southfieldchurch.com, uh, if you go to the journey group, offering is going to come now. <laughs> They're going to come receive the morning offering. You messed up. <laughs> Sorry. I just wasn't there yet. All right? Favorite. I was giving them time to fill out Favorite. their card. Again, if you're new, please keep your card. All right? That's what I wanted to say, so thank you. Anyway, uh, back, on, uh, back on the Journey Group tab, uh, if you go to the website, uh, you'll find at the bottom, you'll see that there's a, uh, a little thing you can click that is titled Thrive. Thrive is our women's uh, conference this year, and Tristy Carlson's actually going to be in charge of that. She's running it, so... Again, I don't know too much about it, but I do know who Tristy is. So if you uh, want to know a little bit more about that, I can direct you to her. Um, also on the way out, we have business cards uh, that work as invitations. So if you have someone in mind that you'd like to invite to that, you can go ahead and grab one of those. Or you can grab a couple if you just want to have one for yourself so you have all the information in one spot. Uh, another Round of announcements, we've got uh, on February 2nd, our annual business meeting. Everyone's invited, so we'd encourage you to come celebrate with us, celebrate everything we've done the last year and everything we have to look forward to in the coming year. Um, so that's February 2nd. Another thing that's happening that day is we're getting internet, supposedly. All right, uh, we have our scheduled appointment with uh, everyone's favorite TV turtles, Mr. and Mrs. Slowski. Uh, they are finally coming around to put internet in uh, so that we can play our games while my dad does his teach. Uh, without wasting our battery, of course. Uh, but anyway, no, we have uh, l the last two things uh, that I'm going to throw out. Uh, I've seen a lot of new high school and junior high faces. Uh, so just to let you know, we have Revive for high schoolers every Sunday night from 6 to 8. Um, so again, tonight's going to be a night that you don't want to miss because it's going to be very memorable. Uh, it's going to be a little weird. So just come, come check it out. Uh, and on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8.30, we have Refuge for Junior Hires. Uh, also, I made an announcement last week about a ski trip for, uh, that we're taking up to Granite Peak in, in Wisconsin. So if you're interested in that and you want to get signed up, uh, just come to the front of the stage. I'll be up here and I can let you know a little more about it and make sure that uh, you can come and enjoy that with us. Thanks. Cool. Just a point of clarification on the ski thing. That's not a youth group thing. That's an anybody thing. You know, you're 80 and you like to ski, you can come along. So uh, it's, it's, it's open to everybody. So as we're leaving... Um, he hit me. What? He hit me. He hit you. <laughs> I was going to play this this morning. I, I got to pull it up. So there's this uh, thing on the internet right now of two little kids, on, you know, sitting at the table, and the girl's just crying her head off, and he's like, the little guy says, you need a nap, or, or did you miss your nap? And she's like, yeah, I did. And I'm like, it's like, yeah. Oh, some things never, ever change. They're in their 20s, folks. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so... The other thing I want to remind you of, with this, with this particular group, uh, remember at the end of the service, we like to take some time to hang out before we start breaking into doing our thing. So we do, we do clear out the chairs, but we wait for a little bit for that. And we show a video at the end. Now, here's the thing today. 
the video is two songs long. And so we're going, oh, I can't wait that long. Don't worry. When the first song is done, the people in the booth know it's time to turn on all the lights in the room. When all the lights come on today, ding, you can go ahead and do your job, okay, whatever it is. But until then, take some time to say hi to someone, to connect with someone, because that's what we're about as a church, all right? I'd like you to stand, and we're going to sing a song that has just been meaningful to us throughout this part of our journey, because God truly is making all things new. He's made us new as a church. He wants to bring newness to our world. And he wants to bring newness to every one of our lives. So let's sing this, as the verse said, wholeheartedly to God.
Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, um, on a more serious note, uh, just take that truth and just let it sink in all week. Even though the series is over, you are made new through Christ, and that's awesome. So have a great Sunday, everybody. <laughs>